Welcome everyone. I'm so thrilled you were able to join us today. This webinar is going to be discussing several things we've been living with over the last year and what it means for the future. Before I introduce the panelists, there's a couple of housekeeping matters. First of all, we're going to have this be sort of an open discussion format. So please use the Q&A feature if you have any questions and then I will forward those questions to the panelists and we can proceed that way. Don't feel like you have to wait until the end to ask your questions. Don't use the chat feature, use the Q&A feature. Also, pursuant to bar rules, we will be submitting only the names of those who stay for the entire hour. In order to get CLE credit, you have to participate for the hour. So we will be submitting the names of the people who stay for the whole hour to the bar. And those are also the people who will be getting the CLE certificate. So thank you for joining joining us. And it's my pleasure to welcome our panelists. And I know probably the way they look on your screen isn't the way they look on mine, but I'm just going to go left to right. Like to introduce Todd Leishman, who is president of Denton's Durham Jones and Pinnegar, and Lee Wright, who is the immediate past president as a few weeks ago of Curtin McConkie, and Kevin Rowe, who is the president of Jones Waldo. And I will tell you, having worked in a law firm, being a president is a fairly thankless task. And these guys do tremendous work, not only for their clients, but also for the attorneys in their firm. And they are also all you law alumni, yay us. So I want you to um, appreciate the work that these guys do that, that we lawyers are pretty sort of ungrateful for because it's a hard job. Anyway, welcome. And Kevin, I'd like to start with you if I could, please. Can you sort of touch on what this last year has done in terms of technology, how that has changed law firm practice and operations? Sure, um, Lori, I appreciate being invited to be part of the panel and I especially appreciate being able to participate with uh, Todd and Lee, both of whom I really respect and uh, appreciate the great jobs they're doing for their firms. Um, I just, as an initial comment, um, I think that what the pandemic has taught all of us is there's no silver bullet to anything in running a law firm and that there are a lot of issues that we've been grappling with for a long time that have been accentuated or have been exacerbated because of the pandemic this year. And one of the things we talked about on our panel is um, the role of technology. Obviously that has over the last few years been becoming more and more central to practicing law. Um, everyone's become more mobile, everyone's become more fluid across the business world. And I think that the pandemic has just brought that to the forefront. And one of the things that we've had to focus on in our firm is to make sure that our technology is as good and as robust and as secure as possible. And that includes uh, making sure that we have video capability, making sure that our systems are accessible throughout from everybody. That includes um, client work, billing, um, communicating. And um, I, think, I think that technology has become at the forefront of practicing law with every other business and it's just will continue to be um, in the middle of things. And so I think one of the things that the pandemic has taught our firm is that 
our technology systems need to be up to date and need to be functional. And the other thing is that technology is expensive. Um, it's, it's a big cost item for every firm to, to uh, manage and to have in place. And, and so that's probably one of the things that we've learned this last year in the, in the pandemic is that you, know, you, you need great technology in order to function as a law firm. And I don't think that's gonna change once the pandemic ends. I think it's, that's just the world we're living in now. Lee and Todd. So Kevin, uh, you know, we, we've kind of done the same thing. And, and one thing that we learned, we put in the ability to access uh, the offices and the technology remotely a few years ago, you know, kind of anticipating that there'd be the need, the desire. And it actually makes attorneys more, uh, more productive if they can work from wherever. But what kind of surprised us was the need to then do that for our accounting group to make it possible for them to work remotely and some of our other support services. So we were thinking in terms of, you know, those that are billing hours, but boy, we had to change and make sure that we put in the technology for all services within the firm. And um, so that it was a bit of a learning curve for us. We had to, to uh, you know, flex and find the right way to move forward. But uh, technology is, is now here to stay. And I think it's going to be uh, more and more the case that we don't just go back when this is this is all over so Todd I think I yeah sorry about that no I was it's a good comment and I just wanted to make the same point that uh, for a number of years our attorneys had been forcing us to make it possible for them to work almost completely remotely when they needed to when they traveled when they were on vacation and so that was a pretty small leap for us but when it came to retrofitting the staff that's where we had a little bit of logistical difficulty uh, last February and March that we rolled in. And it was kind of shocking to see how many people literally didn't have a viable internet connection or, you know, a computer. And so we had to go out and purchase uh, not a lot, but I would say a dozen or so laptop computers for people who, 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 really did not have access to one at home. And so once we got over those things, it was, it was relatively straightforward. Uh, but I think that it forced us also to come to grips with some things that we should have been doing a long time ago. For example, our, our billing processes were largely and, and, and far too much paper driven for the years leading up to the pandemic. And then we were forced uh, to the point where now we, uh, instead of generating reams and reams and reams and reams of paper, to do our billing processes have now completely digitized that, which is good on a lot of fronts. I mean, there's an environmental aspect to that. There's a cost aspect to that. So it's really forces just to leverage some of the technology that we already had access to. And Todd, one of the interesting things about that is attorneys are really reticent to give up paper. There's just a comfort in having paper. And I think converting everything to paperless has been, a, we've had initiative in our firm for a number of years to try and get there and it's tough. But I think that, I think what you're saying, you know, we've had the same benefit of, of not having so much paper in our lives and being able to do things digital, digitally where we didn't do that before. I think that's, that's been a good thing that we've, that's been a result of having to uh, adopt more technology in our lives. And Kevin, with the move to, you know, the, for example, the billings all being electronic now where it used to be sent out in paper and reviewed, um, we've also had to 
to have our IT people do some training on how to edit those uh, those documents now, you know, how, how to work within PDFs and those kind of documents as opposed to the pen and paper, which uh, some of our more senior attorneys in particular were really uh, kind of reticent to give up saying, we'll just print it out and have it delivered to my home, right? And we say, no, 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 no. That's not what we're doing. That's not the way forward. We're, we're not going to do this. But I have to say, um, our younger population of attorneys have said, you know, what's been the holdup? This should have been in place years ago. Um, you know, they were just chomping at the bit to, to take advantage of uh, these kind of the moves to more of the electronic and less of the paper. So moving to electronic and the remote work environment, has it led you to changing any of the key tools you use for your billing or your document management or chat or text or ha have any of you changed or have you just upgraded? Well, we've upgraded like everyone does. And, and so we've adopted, we've, we've obviously one of the other things that we've worked at is migrating more to the cloud. I think that's a trend in every business in the legal industry. So for example, Microsoft 365 allows you to have um, access via video. I know everyone's adopted Zoom, but we've looked at technologies that allow that to happen more seamlessly. And I know all of our clients have pushed that too. Um, I think we've all been in Microsoft Teams meetings and Zoom meetings. And so we've updated, we've, we've created apps for billing. I think every, every firm, every software currently does that. So I think that's something that has changed. And, and again, it's something that is a natural progression. And I think the pandemic has just accentuated moving in those kind of directions, at least within our firm. Lori, we didn't, we didn't necessarily change tools either, but we went to our providers and said, it's got to have this functionality. It has to allow us to do these things. We can't do it the old way. It's, so it's more a, an upgrade on our end as well, rather than a shift. And we've gotten um, really good at the Teams and at the Zoom meetings. I mean, pre-pandemic, you know, who did that? And right. um, now, you know, if the last thing we want to have to do is another Zoom meeting. It's just all day now. And so there's a real familiarity there. Um, interesting to watch how the security of those tools has changed uh, since the beginning of the pandemic as well. Um, you know, the needing to put in the access codes and things like that to protect your meetings. And, you know, as practicing attorneys, if you're talking with a client and all of a sudden a non-client comes in and sometimes it comes in the room because now we're at home and sometimes it's they are able to get into the meeting, then you've got some other legal issues at, at play there. And so it's important that the, that the technology you have have the adequate security so that your conversations are still attorney-client privilege. So for sure, the video technology at our firm has been a big revolution. And even as I'm sitting here right now, I have a, a web camera mounted on my monitor, which I think is a pretty common occurrence across the firms right now. But of course, none of us had the ability to do that. And the fact that we're having this webinar chat right now so comfortably where people are used to talking into a camera and people are used to participating in a meeting by watching it is a testament to how quickly as an industry, we and everybody else has sort of moved into this technology. And I think it's not very, uh, I don't think it's a very insightful comment to say that a lot of this is here to stay and it should well be here to stay because of the efficiencies that we can get by doing business this way. And I, I also felt like, uh, 
at least our shop and I, and my experience with a few other firms I know about was we weren't big users or implementers of chat technology. And it seemed like everything had to be an email for even for a lot of communications that didn't and shouldn't have been in an email format. But we, we were adopting Microsoft Teams and I don't want this to be a commercial for Microsoft Teams, but we were adopting it. And, and in addition to the video, there are a lot of uh, communication functions built into it that now have become second nature for our people. And I think really increased the immediacy uh, of a lot of our communication. So Kevin, you spoke to the expense. What about people who are in solo practice or, or small firms? Do you have any sort of suggestions for those guys? Any of well, you? I, I mean, obviously we're bigger firm attorneys, but I think one of the great things about technology is that you can, you can, you can get what you need to practice in a small firm setting. It may not be the same platform that we work off of, but there is tons of technology that's available uh, for smaller firms to adopt and to implement. And obviously Microsoft, um, you know, that's an example that we've talked about. You can get an individual license for that. So I think, I think technology has really leveled the playing field as far as um, allowing firms of all size to be competitive. Um, it just, it just, you know, you just have, you know, like one of the examples is how do you store the, the reams of information that you have in a law firm and that you're required to maintain over time. And, you know, there's a cost to doing that, whether you do it on the cloud or not on the cloud. So it, it, it's not really a change between an individual practitioner or a bigger firm practitioner. It's just a per attorney cost for doing business. But I do think there's a lot of great technology platforms available for individual and smaller firms to use. So um, when we talked the other day and when you're talking about how having the ability to work remotely has really helped the attorneys be more productive because now they can work when they're on vacation, which means you never get a break. But um, what yeah. about your staff? Have you been have you been measuring productivity of of your staff at all? Has that changed in any degree since they're now also working remotely? Well, I can answer that, and we talked a little bit about that. One of the things that working remotely has done for firm leadership is is take away a very important tool, which is presence. And so it's very difficult to track people who are in their homes as far as how productive they are. And I think one of the issues that we've had to manage is the, we've, we do have some people coming into our office in Utah. Um, when you talk around the country, that's really varied. I talked to an attorney yesterday in, in Chicago, and they have to have permission to come into their office. That's their protocol. Otherwise, you stay home. And we have clients that haven't been back in their office since the pandemic happened. And so, for example, if we're, if we're doing a closing, we're, we're, we're kind of the arms and legs of the closing because they don't have access to their offices. So I think it, a real issue during the pandemic in running a firm has been staff productivity and, and ability to assist. And I, I, think, I think that just varies. And I think it's something that again, there's not a, a good solution to that. Everyone does the best they can. And it's, it's just something that we've lost the ability to control with not having physical presence and being able to see who's in their seats doing their jobs. I think that's just been something that firms have had to manage. Lee and Todd, you know, do you have any 
I'll comment a little bit on that. I agree with what Kevin says. Uh, we, we've been tempted over time to equate being able to visually see someone uh, sitting at their desk to being able to monitor their performance. But I've, I've come to realize during this experience that, that managerially it's very hard to track true productivity even when they're, they're there. And so uh, I've come to rely a little bit managerially on the, the presence or absence of, of comments, questions, complaints from the attorneys and other people about their ability to work together. And, and I'm, I've heard shockingly few uh, of those kinds of comments, which means either that our staff is, is doing a great job of servicing the needs of the firm uh, remotely, or it means that the attorneys have grown more uh, capable of doing more themselves through technology. And I, I can't really judge where that is on that spectrum, but uh, this was, as Kevin said at the top, uh, this is probably, uh, an acceleration of a trend that we were already seeing where we're, we're trying to figure out in this day and age, what is really the relationship between the attorneys and the staff and, and how do we set up those relationships that are gonna be most advantageous for everyone involved because what it takes to be a legal assistant now is not what it took 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. I'm sure we could all agree on that. So there's, there's gonna be, I think, a lot of evolution in the, in the thinking yet about how we um, best make the firm work together as, as an, an overall unit. Well, Lee? Lori, on, on our side, a, a couple of things. When, when we went remote, and we're, we're currently on an AB schedule. So, um, you know, half of our staff is in Monday, Wednesday, Friday. The other half is in Tuesday, Thursday. And even within that, there are high risk folks. And so it's really a third, a third, a third a third that are never in the office and then the others that are rotating between it. But we had, to, we had to make it clear to the staff that just because they're working remotely doesn't mean that uh, they don't need to answer the phone when it rings because it's the client, you know, the attorney's not there and it, and it routes directly to them. And we had to set the expectation that, listen, if you were in the office, you know, from 8.30 to 5, then you are in the office from 8.30 to 5 if that's your home office. And we want it to feel as seamless as possible. The clients, they don't, they don't care if my legal assistant is outside my door or, or if he's working from home or, or if I am, as long as it's seamless. But early on where there were tremendous struggles with uh, childcare and you know, all the, the elementary school kids and teenage kids home doing school. And we experienced it in our home you know, where you're, you're just, competing for the desk um, and for the Wi-Fi to, to be able to do the job, we had to make it clear that no matter what your role was within the firm, um, you still needed to, to do your job within those hours. And we had to have a way to kind of measure that and say, you know, are you, are you still efficient? Are you still completing the job? And I think coming out of this, a lot of law firms are probably going to take a look at, at if there is some streamlining and some cost savings that can happen. Um, is that individual really essential to the service? Is there, is there a way we need to shift their, their role? Um, but we had to say, you know, if, if when it's possible, make sure you've got the childcare. When it's possible, make sure those interruptions aren't there that you're actually able to work and, and be as productive as possible. We realize that there is a, there is a season of, of disruption and you know, tremendous patience with that. 
but particularly if we're not going back entirely, you know, then certain, certain expectations have to be very clear um, or you do lose productivity or you start saying how essential is this person to the firm. Right. So um, you, when this first started off, we, we all were introduced to Zoom and got pretty comfortable with Zoom. But then all of a sudden someone on staff says, well, I wanna do something internally. So we're going to use Microsoft Teams. So then you have to get Microsoft Teams going. And then you have a meeting with the court and they wanna use WebEx. And so now you have to learn how to use WebEx and each one of the tools do the same thing, but they do it a little bit differently. So um, how have, has everyone in your firms just trained themselves individually on all the respective platforms or have you done something structurally in the firm to train people or how have you handled those various different platforms that are available? Um, I can start with that. We, we have had our, uh, our IT group do training um, and the training has been through Zoom, right? <laughs> so you got to understand it and then be trained on it. It's kind of a, a, you know, with chicken and the egg type problem, but, uh, you know, really, really competent and, and helpful IT staff has been very, very critical um, to understanding the new uh, tools that are out there and making sure not only that we know how to use them, but they're also safe, that they're also secure, mm -hmm. depending on the, uh, the environment. I think we've all seen the, um, the uh, uh, social media thing about the attorney that was a cat and couldn't figure out how to turn, <laughs> turn it off on his, on his computer. That's a disaster. You don't want that. You, you need to make sure you can avoid that. Beyond that, our IT group has done some training on security-related things. There is a, a lot of of phishing that's going on, a lot of emails going out saying, you know, hey, look at the latest uh, COVID update and you click on it and all of a sudden they're in your system. And so working remotely and, and having it, you know, more of this just required more training and an IT group that really stepped up. I think, I think Lee just said something very important right there, which was the overlay of cybersecurity on this whole problem because uh, we've been spending a lot of cycles uh, for a variety of reasons, chief of which is the demands of our clients to give assurance that our systems are as, as secure as they can be. And so uh, different security platforms will allow different video tools to be used and not others. And so you end up being able, for example, to put software on your computer for Zoom, which is very nice but then you have to use only a, a browser-based uh, application for some of the other systems. And so that's, that was a, has been a real challenge, uh, I think, for our people to not just figure out how to navigate through these different systems used by the courts and other parties, but also to figure out within each system uh, you know, how to use it within uh, the security constraints that we've had to implement to keep our clients happy. And, and that's, uh, that's, that's been a strain on our IT group, but they've, they've somehow weathered it and, help, and helped us out as much as they can. And I, I'm also sure that my colleagues on the phone would, would probably agree that sometimes with training, the people who most need it are the ones most reticent to come participate in it. And so that just kind of adds to the frustration of the IT group that when they do schedule training and, and have good training, uh, it's hard to get uh, all, all of the firm there, and, and with, with good cause, by the way. I mean, people have complicated schedules, 
And it's just really hard to schedule something that everyone who needs to can fully participate in. Well, I think that um, despite what we've been doing and what we may do in the future, it seems to me that we're still losing something. You're losing the, the ability to walk down the hall and ask a question. You're losing some of that collaboration. And, and I don't know if that can actually be dealt with virtually, if there's a way to, to adequately compensate for, for just being present. And Kevin, you mentioned that being present, being there, ha having that, the opportunity to, to speak to one another, talk things over. So we, we do lose that. So how do you then, Todd, let me start off with you. How do you sort of maintain a firm culture when it's all remote? It's a huge challenge uh, for us. And uh, I, without hopefully being melodramatic, let me say that I think we're all going through the experience of having to strip down our firms into their real constituent elements and, and re-examine what does it mean to be a law firm? Uh, the entities are existing only in the eyes of the law. And the truth of the matter is that, that a firm is an organization that, that, that uh, curates human capital and tries to keep that human capital bound together in an efficient way. And those are very esoteric things to talk about. What is you know, we've all talked about what is our firm culture over the years, but even once you decide on, on what your firm ethos or culture is, how do, you, how do you maintain it and share it and teach new people about it when everyone's remote? And uh, I don't have any answer to that question. I wish that I did. I have to confess, frankly, that some of the things that have been tried uh, by us and I'm sure others in terms of the virtual cocktail party or the virtual breakout room where you throw uh, a bunch of people randomly uh, in a subgroup uh, out of a larger webinar or, or a meeting, that can feel sometimes very forced and, and strained. And I'm not, I'm not fully sure about the efficacy of that. And it's also impossible to quantify the serendipitous meetings of people in the hallway who have opportunities to mind share and, and share expertise and, and just brainstorm, uh, and, and, and you can't replicate that in, in, a, in, a, in a Zoom platform. I know that uh, right now, just to share a personal anecdote, I'm spending about three days a week in the office. And I notice that when I come in in the morning, uh, our receptionist will say, well, so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so were looking for you yesterday. Well, they, they know where I am and they don't reach out to me on a, a team chat or a call, but if I'm sitting in my office, they'll come in and, and talk to me. And I don't, I don't know quite how to get my mind around how to effectively manage through that because there is something important uh, about uh, being together in some context. And I'd, I'd be curious to hear what my colleagues are doing in their firms to address that. But we're, you know, we're still, uh, we're still trying to figure out how that's going to work. Uh, Todd, I, I would actually agree with every single thing you've said. I think that there was a lot of momentum when the, the pandemic first happened to try and get people together socially through Zoom cocktail hours, meetings. I think 
technology is just hard and people live their lives on their computers. And I think that that's the enthusiasm for that has waned over, over the last year. Um, no matter what our best efforts have been to try and create those experiences. And I think that that very lack of collegiality will uh, have firms regather once firms are able to do that. I don't think work will ever be the same. I think, you know, it will never be you're sitting on your desk every day from eight to six. I just don't see that happening. But I never see firms becoming a virtual, you just don't ever get together again, just for the reasons you've said. At least, at least that's my perspective. I think that's, you can't replace in-person contact. You can't replace walking next door and talking about an issue. It's just so much more difficult uh, via, via telephone or via Zoom to collaborate. And I, I think that will drive firms, at least it will drive our firm to try and get back together when we, when we can safely do that. And, you know, Kevin, I, I uh, don't worry so much about the, the partners that have been here for 20 plus years, because whether they're seeing someone in person or picking up the phone, they've got such a history with the people that it's, th that it can weather a year. It can weather a year too. I mean, hopefully no more than that, but I, I really am concerned about the new hires. I'm concerned about the new associates and the summer associates. I mean, what a unique experience for a summer to come and do a completely virtual summer experience with a firm that they think they want to join. And they, they end the summer and say, yeah, I did some really cool projects, but I don't know who these people are. I don't, you know, um, yeah, I've had some Zoom meetings with them and, and you know, maybe there was a, a meeting in person once or something like that. But uh, the, the collaboration and spending time together and, and, having them experience what the culture of the particular firm is, is such an important piece that's been missed, particularly by that group. And yet some of them are the best when it comes to the use of technology. Um, I see that they recognize the need to get into the office when they know someone's there because they're interested in building that future and, and in building that relationship. And without that face-to-face, -face, you know, they, they can't have that experience. You know, we've got uh, two offices in Salt Lake, you know, one in one in Utah County and around. We talked about how do we get that uh, that firm culture into each of the different offices so that so that uh, it can be experienced and, and they feel a part of the group. Um, now take that to an individual attorney level. I mean, you basically took three offices and turned it into 150 offices and the challenge is huge. Um, we tried. Uh, you know, we've got our annual Christmas party. I think every firm does. We tried to do not a virtual Christmas party, but, you know, deliver the traditional gift that, you know, had the branded blanket in it. And then, you know, here's a gift card, go and, and uh, go to dinner with your loved one and send a picture and we'll do a collage. Um, yeah, nice try. We did something. People were appreciative, but it just doesn't replace what uh, all being together for that evening, you know, whatever the event is, um, adds to the culture of a firm and how important it is. And Todd, to your point, if, if you lose that, what do you have? I mean, uh, do we have 150 solo practitioners, you know, and, and that's, that's not what we want. We want someone to be a part of who we are, part of our culture. Right, and, and just Lee, a couple oh, of go ahead about that. 
there's obviously in the practice of law, it, there's a lot of big firms that are multi-city firms, multi-state firms, and obviously they they figure out a way to stay connected in, in remote offices. And, and I, I think it's the business proposition of practicing law together. And you you're more you're more profitable and you're and you're you have better back you know resources if you you know if you if you combine. And one of the things just on an individual level that's hard about the pandemic is there is, you know, if, if I were a young corporate associate, I would want to have a chance to sit in the office with Todd and watch him negotiate a transaction. That's really how you learn. It, it's really hard to learn drafting a document and sending it over to Todd to edit, but you learn and you become mentored by sitting with someone that knows what they're doing and, and learning how they do it. And I, and I really think that that's, that's one of the, the sad things that we've missed this last year is those opportunities for younger attorneys to, to, to learn and to grow by being sitting next to someone that, that's done that before and, and, and having that experience. So I've always said that you only know how to do things if you watch someone and you have that experience do it for you the first time, then you can, then you can learn it the second time. So I think that's one of the sad things that have, has happened this last year is not having those opportunities. Well, Lee, as well you said, said Laurie, it, if, I, if I may just add one thing, Lori, um, this, this generational issue is very important. And I think, I think the younger generation of attorneys is, is paradoxical because on the one hand, they are the ones uh, in, in many cases with a lot of family obligations. And you know they will say to us quite readily, I don't miss spending an hour each way or, or an hour commuting every day. I don't miss the expense and the hassle of, of having to do that. I'm having more time with, with doing things that are important to me in terms of work-life balance. And yet they're the ones that are also, you know, who have the most to gain from remote workings in that, in that sense. They're the ones who have the most to lose in terms of integrating into the firm and getting to know the people who assign them work and learning the craft. And uh, so I, we, we spend a lot of time talking about that generation and, and how best to help them. And I don't know if, uh, if, if, if the others are getting from that generation generally resilient, positive comments about their own experiences working remotely. And how do you how do you now tell them you've got to start commuting again? You've got to start giving up some of that balance you've achieved in the last year. Well, will you make them give it up? Will you continue to be flexible? And and if so, how do you continue to provide that flexibility, but also teach the importance of being in the office? Well, I think for attorneys, we've we've seen that trend already. I think that having attorneys you know, in the office every day, all day, that was changing well before COVID started. You know, I'm working from home today, I'm doing this. I, I think the difference is trying to manage everyone else other than attorneys, because I think attorneys are very adaptive working wherever they are, whenever they are, you know, we've, we've learned how to do that. So, you know, I, I don't see, I never will see people being in the office every day, you know, um, eight to six, like I was when I was first an associate. I don't, I don't see that ever happening with technology the way it is. That, that being the case, um, they still need to understand that when the shareholder needs that help, you know, whether it's, whether it's down the hall or, or down the street, 
they still have to be available and have to be, you know, watching and, and helping with that. I, I think they have a real challenge in, in terms of figuring out how to make those, um, you know, cultural connections uh, with the more senior people at the firm and still try and maintain that balance. I, I agree with Kevin that, that it's, it was already trending very much that way. Um, but I, but I also think that there was a, an understanding of there is a time when I need to be in the office. There's a time when the interaction opportunity is there and I'm not going to miss that opportunity. I hope that, uh, that we can help educate those attorneys that there is that benefit and that they need to be there for that benefit when the opportunity presents itself. Not necessarily every day, but, but you know, there are, and, and as firm management, we need to find opportunities for those gatherings and help them see the benefit of participating. Well, okay, let's assume then that you have a whole class of associates that come in and say, I only want to be in the office two days a week. Does that impact your, your office space and the real estate that you get? Or would they still have a dedicated office that they can come to? I mean, what does that mean in terms of the, just the physical structure? If you have people saying, I'm going to work from home the most or something. There's a lot of real estate developers with, that would like to know the answer to that question. <laughs> well, I, I would say, Lori, we, we don't know the answer to that in our, in our firm. And, and point number one is I would like very much to have that conundrum to deal with because the fact that you're having that conversation means that the pandemic has subsided enough that firms managerially are forced to make that decision. It sounds like Lee's firm maybe it has taken a step further down that road, you know, than we have, we're still basically working remotely, but I would like very much to have the problem of having not to worry about the pandemic and people's safety enough to have a serious conversation about when we make that decision. But I think that there's going to have to be a lot of thought to that. And we've seen the pendulum swing, you know, as soon as people got over the initial shock of the pandemic and realized in, in our industry, that yeah, we, we can do this. We we can we can keep servicing our clients working remotely. And then the first question was, well, why don't we all uh, get rid of our real estate or a good chunk of it? I mean, if we can do this, it isn't intuitive that we sh we should we should do it this way forever. And that that got some traction in in some circles for a while. And now I feel like the pendulum is is swinging back as people really do strip back. Uh, all of the constituent elements of what it means to be in a firm. We're going to have to take a look at redefining the core relationship between a professional services firm and its real estate platform. I know that, that I, my, my experience is going to be the same as my colleagues. When I started doing this, I worked in a, in a firm that had five floors of a, of a downtown tower. One of those floors was all library. One of those floors was all um, word processing pool. Both of those things have essentially left our firms right now. And so this is just another step in reassessing what is your relationship with your real estate and how can you use it more intelligently, but without sacrificing the elements you really need to tie together those human binds that really constitute being a firm. So um, there are pros and cons with the technology. I mean, it's been a huge blessing this last year to allow people to continue to work when they can't go into the office. But, but what does it mean for the future in terms of recruiting and retaining? 
attorneys? Are you going to use the technology as a as a plus for your recruiting to say, look, you can you can live where you want and still be a fully engaged member of the firm? How do you, how do you see that impacting the future? I don't think any of us have answers. I think that's <laughs> I think that silence speaks speaks volumes. I think that's a lot, that's a big issue, and I think it's going to uh, evolve over time. And, and again, I think it's just the the natural outgrowth of technology impacting our lives. I mean, one of the things we talked about is when I was first an attorney, we used to go to closings. I'm, I'm a transactional attorney. Now we don't. They want you, they know you don't need to. You can you can do everything remotely. You can get documents signed remotely. You can get things done remotely. And so businesses don't wanna pay you to go to somewhere to close their transaction. So I really think there's great benefits to technology, but I really think technology is isolating. I think it tends to have you sit in your house or sit it, sit in your office and not interact with people. And, and I, I, I'm kind of concerned about what the world looks like and what it looks like to practice live if your life is sitting in front of a computer every day. I mean, I, you know, that's, I think that's a real issue. And, and I think that's something that folks are gonna to have to figure out. So I think uh, I agree with everything Kevin said. Um, depending on how this shakes out, there's a real potential here though to reshape the industry that we work in. Uh, in terms of having a, a disparate and highly geographically, geographically diffuse work, workforce. Um, the American Bar Association put out not all that long ago, I wanna say within the last month, an, a new ethics opinion that basically confirmed what I think most of us believed, which is that it's perfectly ethical to have an attorney attached to your firm that lives anywhere else in, you know, in any other jurisdiction, including anywhere around the world. And as long as they're ethically practicing through your firm to your clients and they're registered to do that and licensed to do that, where you're, where you're, where they were required to deliver the service, the, the rules don't really care where, where you live or where you sit to do your work. And I think when you think about the ramifications of that in terms of our industry, that means that, you know, some of the advantages that we all appreciate about living in Salt Lake City, Utah, might be attractive for, you know, uh, lawyers who work all over all over the country to, to sit here and to live here, but be, to be able to be linked to a firm in Chicago or Los Angeles or Washington, D.C. And I think that it remains to be seen uh, what's going to happen to the uh, ability of firms to attract and retain talent when the smorgasbord of offerings has been substantially broadened by technology and an acceptance that you don't really need to be in the home office in order to work through the home office. I don't know if my colleagues have comments on that, but it's certainly something we're thinking about here. Yeah, Todd, I, th I think I've thought about that and I, I do think it's gonna shape how law firms work. And I think it actually, you know, one of the, the outgrowths is it may, may even out billing rates across the country. That'll be an interesting thing to see what happens as we have more firms cross cross you know cross borders because one of the things we've always known in Utah is you get to live in Utah but your billing rates much lower than someone living in Denver, let alone Los Angeles or New York. So I think that'll be interesting to see how that 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 plays out over time. And I think what 
local firms are going to have to do is figure out a way to, um, to you know, compete um, and, 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 and be profitable on their levels to still attract talent as we, as we compete with other, with other firms coming into our market. I think we've had that issue for a number of years now in Salt Lake anyway. And, and maybe that maybe that will help. It's always a little bit frustrating to me to uh, be doing a transaction with someone in Denver that is a pretty comparable attorney that's billing $100 more an hour, you know, for, uh, than I am. And so maybe that'll maybe that'll even things out. And one of the questions I think that was in the chat room that I thought would be worth addressing is the idea of, you know, um, hoteling or sharing space. Um, my my input is that I think companies that did that are kind of wondering whether that was so good with what's happened with the pandemic as far as you know having fungible space and putting people close together. So I really think that's going to be an interesting development in what happens. And and I don't think that because of ethical rules and confidentiality rules, we're never going to go away from having attorneys having their own office and own space to to do business in. That's that's just my my thought about those those two two topics. For us, you know, the the concept of hoteling came up as people were working more and more remotely, and everyone's in favor of it until it's their office, right? Yep. <laughs> and then it's like, wait, no, no, I need my space, I need my my drawers, I need my files, you know, kind of need it set up like that. And so, um, I think in concept, I think what you'll see is smaller offices. And I think for some, there may be options of hoteling, but you know, unless there's a real shift from the current mold, in concept, people like it in, in practice, uh, I'm getting pushback now, at least in my firm saying, oh wait, okay, maybe not you know, going to the extreme that some people are talking about. I don't wanna, okay. I don't wanna generalize here uh, or stereotype, but there's a generational element to this too, I think. Yeah. And uh, the feedback I'm getting from our younger lawyers who are much more, uh, much more resilient in terms of, of being willing to work when, where, and as they can, they're signaling back that they really don't care about being attached to a specific office. They want a, a flat surface to put their laptop on and plug in when they're here. When they're not here, they don't really care what goes on. And I think that uh, I would say that in our older generation of attorneys, there's a lot more of that uh, attachment to a specific piece of a specific real estate uh, opportunity. And so I think that there's a, a dialogue to be had there too, where, uh, you know, we, we wouldn't go to full hoteling, but we would seriously consider some sort of modular or more transient uh, work assignment where people could have the opportunity to have a, 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 a specific office when they need it but not have one when they don't. And uh, I think there's a lot to talk about there before all of that dust comes to rest. Yeah, well said. Yeah, I agree. I think those are really interesting concepts. I would say that my my son works for American Express. They built a new office building. They put, they, they, they just said, you don't have an assignment. Uh, here's, 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 you just come in and plug in and you're gonna be sitting next to someone else and the pandemic happened and they haven't been back to the office. So it's, it's really interesting to see how they're getting, people are going to manage their real estate going forward. And I think they're going to take into account those issues too. So maybe not a dedicated office, but maybe private offices where you're, you know, I, I think that, I think that's going to be interesting as it, as it, as it, as it happens over time. 
But, you know, I think one of the great things about technology is it allows us to, um, you know, to serve clients in a broader range than we have in the past. And I, I think that, that that will continue to facilitate more flexibility. That's why I said I just don't think the days of coming into your office eight to six every, every day are past just because of all the things we've talked about. Because it does mean you can serve people in like there, there's a county in Utah that has zero attorneys in it. And those people can now access because of technology, access attorneys that don't live there. So I, I do think there are some benefits that a huge number of benefits that technology can provide us. But I, it's important to be aware based upon what I've heard you say, be aware of the downsides and sort of the, that you miss out on the collegiality and the interpersonal growth, as well as the education you can get. I mean, some of my best times were walking down the hall with a question that would completely broaden the way I looked at a particular question. So I do think we have to be aware of that, that downside that if we only work remotely, we miss out on some, uh, some of that richer legal experience we could gain. Um, we're, well, we're getting close on time. I do have a question and I don't know if you guys know the answer to this, but um, as things change and we get back to more in person, can a law firm require mandatory testing or a mandatory vaccine? Have you, have you guys talked about that at all at your firm? Uh, yeah, Lori, let me, let me start with that one. I, we've actually had some clients that have asked those questions too and have said, hey, is it, is it uh, possible for us to say that, you know, uh, our employees must have the vaccine before they're allowed to come back to work. Um, and, and the, you know, the answer to that is, you know, the EEOC has given some guidelines that say, well, yeah, it's possible for you to do that. But when you do that, there's two laws you're going to run into. Um, you know, one is the, the ADA, where if someone has a, a real disability and as a result of it can't have the vaccine, you've got to accommodate that. Um, and so, you know, you've got, you've got that situation where you've got to understand it and, and make accommodations. What does accommodations look like? Well, um, it might just be continued remote work uh, as an accommodation. The other um, uh, is Title VII. Um, if someone has religious beliefs or other, you know, concerns like that, that they say, no, I, for, for these reasons, I, I won't participate in the vaccine, um, you know, then, then you have to uh, accommodate that as well. And I think this is actually the idea of organizations making it mandatory to have a vaccine in order to come back to work is headed to litigation. So if you want to be the head of the spirit, go ahead. Um, I, I think what we're seeing is that most organizations are, are not making it mandatory, but are making it voluntary. Um, I was reading something the other day that said, you know, Ford Motor Company and Kellogg's have both said, we will make it available for all of our employees as, as something that they can voluntarily choose to participate in, because they, I don't think they want to be the, the point of the spear on that and be part of that litigation. Um, for our firm, we, we have been talking about it and made the determination that it, it wouldn't be mandatory, um, but it would be encouraged, right? Uh, we want to avoid people getting sick and, and, you know, we'll work with them in, in terms of doing that. 
another area where it's come up is for like arenas and theaters and even going into businesses where can businesses say in order to come in the door you have to show us proof that you've either been vaccinated or you know you recently had uh, COVID and therefore you're you know you're safe and uh, you know the same the same types of issues um, and air travel is another one where where it's coming up. Um, there there is again the Civil Rights Act of of 1964 that prohibited that prohibit discriminating based on religion. Um, and so you know if you if you make the vaccine a requirement to come in. Um, what you're gonna what you're gonna run into is potential claims like that, and you know those claims were were um, put forward for reasons for mask wearing unsuccessfully. So who knows exactly where it's going to go? Um, we as a law firm we're continuing to require the masking and the social distancing, um, encouraging the 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 vaccine when it's made available, but not making anything mandatory. Well, if they if you don't require a, a vaccine, can you require a test? Um, that's that's a good question. Um, for for public health reasons, I think there's some some um, some local regs and, and requirements where you can before someone can come back into the workplace for the safety of everyone else involved. And you know that's been that's been going on for some time. So Kevin, Tom, Kevin, I'm curious if you guys have, have tackled that issue within your firms or if, I mean, I think we've got a month or two before it becomes, you know, more critical. I think the governor said by May, everyone should have access, but uh, just curious. Well, I'll reiterate that, uh, that uh, in, in a way, I'd, I'd like to be forced to make that decision. And we're kind of uh, deferring uh, the time when we have to make that decision until it becomes a reality for critical mass of the general population to get vaccinated. And so um, I know that our employment group is actively engaged in, a, in advising our clients and our, and our larger firm is actively engaged in advising its clients who are wanting to be proactive in this area. So far, I'm not a consumer of that legal advice quite yet. And uh, we're talking about it, but we, we, have not, we have not made a decision because I think you know, we're, we're lawyers and we're, we're naturally conservative and reticent to rock the boat. And right now, um, our lawyers are doing great work and like yours and, and our clients still want us to work for them and we're able to do work and bill them for it and collect it. So we just really don't want to make anyone uncomfortable unnecessarily or prematurely. And so I think that's, uh, you know, maybe that's my way of saying I managerially procrastinating talking about this, but in, in, a, in a real big sense, that's true. Yeah, I'm Todd, I, I'm, I'm kind of, our employment folks have basically said what Leah said, which is you can require it with accommodation. So I, I think that's what, what I've heard, but we haven't made that decision what we're gonna do in our firm at this point. I mean, you know, we, we obviously have policies with respect to what, what you do now if you come into the firm but we haven't broached that what happens when, if, you know, can you come in if, if you have an opportunity to get a vaccine and you haven't, and you've chosen not to get one, I don't, we haven't, we haven't made that decision yet either. I'm in the procrastination camp with you. Well, and I, and I should probably add that that's the direction we're leaning, but we haven't, you haven't, we haven't had to make the decision yet. I would just be surprised if we ended up making it a mandatory thing, but who knows? I mean, that's, 
as things continue to kind of move forward, we'll, we'll kind of the same with you, go to our employment lawyers and watch very closely what's going on and, and make our decision at that point. But it's an interesting issue that all businesses and all law firms are gonna to have to face. Yeah, I'm trying to wrap my head around the idea of having an opportunity to get a vaccination and saying no at this point. So I'm not even to the point of, you know, that's, 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 that's my mindset, so. Well said. Let's see. Well, thank you through the three of you so much for this. It was for me really interesting to hear because I haven't been back in my office since March and I, um, I miss going in, I miss talking to people. I do think you lose something when you're not there, but I also am especially gratified that I still have a job and I've been home. So there are, I think there are pluses and minuses to this, but, but for me, the biggest takeaway is this is still in flux and we don't know the answers to some of these questions and it's just going to play out over time the way it's played out over the last year. But, but it sounds to me that, that you guys, and I assume every other firm is um, trying to be on the front end of these questions so that the answers you get are the best interest of your people and your clients and it, and, and that's where we end up at the end of the day is everyone's just trying to make the best possible results out of a difficult situation. Well said. Well said. Thank you for uh, hosting, Lori. Good job. Yeah. Thank you. See, go you law. Go you law. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. And for all of you that participated or that joined us, thank you. And I hope to see you at one in the future, another one in the future. Next week, actually, we're going to be uh, doing an ethics one on the new advertising rules from that have come out. So I hope I can have you at another one. And thank you very much to our panelists. I really appreciate your being here. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Well. Bye.